You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, without further ado, uh, I want to announce my intentions to commit to Tank Top University. Hell yeah. Let's go, baby. Football's right. I knew it. I said we're not really podding unless Sinone's in a tank top. Like, that's how I know he means business. And, and the last time we jumped on, I asked him to turn his video on and was – he had knee to his right, but I was I was really disappointed that he didn't have a tank top on. I could tell the vibes early on. I'm bringing sexy back. Uh, this joke probably would have been a lot funnier if there was actual video for, for it and not on the podcast uh, medium. But what are you going to do? Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. You heard Josh Newberg. That was an excited Zach Blostein in the background. Zach, thank you for the support. Sure. <laughs> we uh, we have a ton to get to today because we're recapping the 2020 recruiting class for Florida State. And uh, and then we have some questions to take, too. So so a lot to go over in a pretty short period of time because we have some young Zachary has to go to class in a little bit. So so here we are, fellas. FSU finishes with a number 22 overall class in the 2020 recruiting cycle. Uh, that's that's probably the worst in maybe ever since they started keeping track of Florida State's recruiting classes, at least in a decade. Josh and I, we spoke about this big picture. We spoke about this before when I was writing a column on National Signing Day and we kind of workshopped this. But for Coach Norvell, there was a lot of kind of making uh, chicken salad into uh, or chicken, chicken, you know what, into chicken salad. Right, Josh? Yeah, I felt like we were we were making chicken salad for the last week, Brendan. Um, and so was Coach Norvell. But taking a step back, you asked me to kind of break this down from a bigger perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a step in the right direction. It is what it is with these transition periods and the early signing period. There's just not much out there in terms of available talent. We got asked all the time, why aren't we seeing more four stars? Does he not recruit? Does, does Norvell not, is he not going to be able to do this? You know, everybody had all these questions, but it really came down to what was available and Florida state cast a wide net. I was at the under armor uh, when for under armor check-in, there was a lot of kids that were maybe didn't decide in December that FSU reached out to, and they had to go with the guys that had reciprocal reciprocal interest because the window's short. There was only three visit weekends in January. They couldn't really waste their time with with guys that um that were out of their league or weren't going to pay them any any mind. So they locked in on about five or six guys during the month of January, and down the stretch they filled some needs. Um, they did what they could. But at number 22, we know you, you got to do better. And I, I don't mean I, this year, but in the years moving forward. Right, I think this is a example where nuance can, can be issued to the recruiting class, like based on expectations, what Florida State had to work with. Uh, this is going to be one of the better transition classes in the brief period of the early signing period. I think for mm-hmm. a, a group of five coach, someone who doesn't have any experience at the, you know, coaching uh, as a head coach at the Power Five level, uh, this is the second best finish for a uh, for a team in a transition class. Uh, number twenty two overall, Jeremy Pruitt was a defensive coordinator, had no head coaching experience at, at the Power Five level. 
uh, at Tennessee, I think was 21st overall in, in 2018. So for perspective, like what they did here was still good for the circumstances. I think the staff knows though, that they can't be as reliant as they were on uh, these deep kind of these deep cut scouts, uh, finding guys who are hidden gems or, or maybe have some inherent flaws where they're coming off of injuries or they're converted a basketball player, stuff like that, where you're kind of having to dig deep. Uh, you may have the recruiting acumen, the scouting acumen to find those guys and develop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are going to need to, to get in on some of the big time blue chip guys, which we're seeing already kind of materialize in 2021. Uh, Zach, what were your thoughts in general on, on this recruiting class? And maybe more importantly, the, the finish that coach Norvell and his staff had since you were there every single every single weekend in January covering it. Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing to know um, was, you know, they got a lot of kids on campus or a decent bit of kids on campus. And it looks like, you know, they, they did a good job of whoever they got on campus. They, a lot of them ended up signing with FSU. I think I counted out of the 28 official visitors, including that weekend in December with all those commits, they signed 23 of them. Um, you know, you got, you got guys like Morgan Joseph and Kendall Dennis who went elsewhere. Um, and then in, in January, like guys like Donovan Kaufman, uh, you know, go to Vanderbilt. It's just, you know, I think that once they identified targets that had reciprocal interests, those were guys that still had interest from other schools. They got them on campus and did a good job of locking them up. So I think that's a good sign if you're looking at like just the trend of things for them, you know, with official visits. You know, obviously the class isn't this star-studded class. I think uh, there's a lot of guys that have high upside, um, like like a Marquisine Douglas, for instance. He's a first-year football player. Just just guys that you know may, maybe coming off injuries, like Brendan noted. Uh, you don't know how. Like uh, obviously, Florida State has had a chance to evaluate you know where they are, where they're at with their their injuries, but you don't know how they're going to develop um, and play in their college career. So there's a lot of question marks for sure. But I think it, it's it's promising to see. You know, once they got guys on campus, they did a good job of closing on those specific targets. So I think that's the one thing I would note um, out of out of this, you know, kind of lower ranked class in, in Florida State standards. I don't want to sugarcoat it for you guys, and we, and we won't do that here. Like, like Josh said, like this has to be better moving forward. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's not bright spots. And, well, and I think we said that about Willie Taggart's number eleven rate right as well and, I mean, and in hindsight said, that that willie taggart class just credit where credit's due man like that was the best transition class that we've seen in three cycles now uh to finish number 11 especially when you think about like early signing day no that was that was the first year of early signing period i believe um and, and with that just figuring it out back there yeah i don't know if it yeah. had quite the the it wasn't impact. as heavy on the early signing day it was exactly. it was about half and half I think it was like 65% of blue chips yeah. were gone at that point. And, and like this past year, I think it was closer to 80% if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it, it was different, but just to give credit, like what Willie did was pretty miraculous. I don't think we're going to see many like borderline top 10 transition classes uh, moving forward. But yeah, Josh, start to your point. Uh, we did say the same thing about Willie, that it has to be better. That's one that. of the issues in that first class. Well, then it got only got worse under him too. Yeah. Uh, you know, for Florida State to be competitive, having two transition classes in three years, uh, something that Bud Elliott's talked about in depth on uh, on on his podcast, uh, the no class. Sorry, I couldn't think of the name. Um, it's something that you have to be better at, and Florida State again knows that. But at the same time, there are things that I think we can find that we like about all of 
certain position groups and, and what the staff did. Uh, I do think, generally speaking, this is a uh, a high floor class. Like I think there's good stability that's going to be brought to FSU through this class. I'm not sure how many bona fide superstars there are. Mike Norvell well, said he thought they were home run hitters. Uh, that remains to be seen uh, in my estimation. Yeah, I mean, I my optimism and and like uh, I don't want to say lack of concern for 2020 recruiting, but my optimism for recruiting under Mike Norvell is in the 2021 class and the work that we've seen them do in January, not only on the recruiting trail, but also their ability to get um, guys on campus at positions of need. We saw that for the first junior day, they really brought in some quality trench players on both sides of the football. Not only that, they had some studs on campus. I mean, Brandon Jennings, I know we're going to get to him. Luke Altmeyer, we talked about him the last time. Xavier Sori, uh, the list goes, you know, Amari Harvey, they got a lot of good players on campus for that first junior day. So even though 2020 sits where it sits, I'm already turning the page and I'm optimistic that 2021 will be a better class. And before we totally turn the page, uh, let's go down the line here quickly and go over the position groups and the players and, and what FSU did add in, in 2020 here at quarterback guys. I think this was one of the position groups that you could be the most excited about. It was one that absolutely had to get numbers. Mike Norvell comes in at quarterback and, and tells Jeff Sims, essentially uh, we would take you, but uh, we're probably going to take someone else in this class and, and basically spelled it out for him that, that he wasn't the guy for Florida state. Uh, Jeff Sims decommits. You replace him with Chubba Purdy, who's ranked even higher. And you land Tate Rotemaker, who ends up being ranked just as high as Jeff Sims when it's all said and done. Zachary, quick thoughts on, on quarterback position. I, I'm optimistic about one of those two guys turning into something that could be stable at this position for FSU. Yeah, I mean, it's a great haul just considering the past two years of what's been the quarterback recruiting at Florida State. Um, you know, in the final rankings for 247, Chubba Purdy finished, you know, in, in that almost in that top 250 group. So I think, uh, you know, Purdy's a guy that could really, you know, be some uh, an impact player at Florida State down the line. Obviously, he's not getting to campus until summer, so that puts him back a little bit compared to his um, colleague, Tay Roadmaker, who's already on campus in, in conditioning drills and is going to go undergo spring practice. You know, I think those two guys are going to set the foundation for Norvell's era at Florida State. It's going to come down to, you know, can, can Norvell and, Dil- and Kenny Dillingham develop these guys into prolific passers like they've been known to do at their past stops in Arizona State and Memphis. So, you know, I think Purdy's like the, the guy that I think you're mentioning, Brendan, that, you know, I think he has the highest chance to be that guy for Norvell. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I think Kate Rodemaker is just as, uh, you know, has the ability to be just as good. I really wish that Purdy was on campus for the spring. I think that would make a huge difference. And yeah. his athleticism is important too, because of the offensive line issues. Like he can move in the pocket. He could actually extend plays. I think he's running for a thousand yards in each of the last two seasons. Uh, and then Josh and I, we had Charles power on last podcast and, and he spoke very highly of Purdy's production and how that kind of pretends to success at the next level. Josh, uh, the running back group, your boy, Lawrence Tofilly, in addition, Juco transfer, LaDamian Webb, Corey Wren, kind of a gadget, uh, wide receiver, running back type, Jay Sean Corbin. Uh, we saw a video of mm-hmm. him doing some, uh, some lifting on the, uh, on the, on the hamstring injury. So that was good the other day on, on social media, that group there, I get the feel that Norvell likes that the depth seems to have been replenished very quickly. I'm not sure there's a superstar. What, what, what are your thoughts on the group? I was most impressed with what Mike Norvell and his staff did at quarterback, but 
second place for me was probably the makeover at running back. I mean, this was a room that was just decimated. And if it wasn't decimated by guys leaving the program or leaving the team like the Cam Akers, it was question marks. Um, Anthony Grant, we don't know what we're getting out of him. Kalen Laborn, we don't know what we're getting out of him. So Florida State does something great, which is bringing a Juco running back. Damian Webb fills that role, uh, transitions from what we have now to the future, which is more guys like Lawrence Toffoli and Corey Wren. But I don't think Lawrence Toffoli is necessarily ready, or this wouldn't be the optimal time to put him on the field. I think he probably needs a red shirt year um, to do that. Now, possibly they also bring in a, a transfer that can play next year. I say possibly because Jay Sean Corbin from Texas A&M is going to probably need a waiver. Um, we've heard that he might have a case for that. As we always do, we're just going to let it play out before we speculate whether or not he'll join the roster for this upcoming season. But in totality, you look what they got. Lawrence Tofilly, Damian Webb, Corey Wren, Jay Sean Corbin. That's a great start in solidifying the room. Now you can go out and it's not necessarily a numbers game in 2021, but it's more about quality. Go out and get a, a high quality running back or two and call it a day. Um, I really like what they did in 2020, just kind of restabilizing the position. And I should mention, too, I agree with you, Josh. I think that was the most impressive thing, maybe outside of quarterback, was how he just completely replenished running back room. Uh, Ja'Kai Douglas is someone else we'll mention in the receivers coming up here. Uh, Norvell mentioned him with the running back group. And I yeah, think and you and could Corey Wren. mention Corey Wren with the wide. I think uh, Ja'Kai Douglas and Corey Wren are almost interchangeable. Right? Yeah, and that's going to speak to, I think, what Norvell wants to do on offense. He He's had a lot of success with that gadget type of a hybrid player. Uh, at Memphis with, uh, oh God, uh, Demoxy Cody, I, I believe the name is. Uh, I'm blanking on which which guy. But he's done it a couple times now, uh, where he's he's had a kind of a in between guy to to run the offense around. Uh, the other thing I like about the running back group is its versatility. You get someone like a Corey Rand and Jakai Douglas who are probably going to line up in the slot, be used on jet sweeps, but could also go in the backfield occasionally. Uh, Toe Philly could be a home run hitter, uh, but eventually be a feature back. Josh said probably needs a year or so. Uh, and then LaDamian Webb is kind of an in-between the tackle, a really compact runner. So they have guys with different different skill sets. I, I think that's important to note with this group, too, because they're going to need to probably rely on a, a, a platoon of sorts without a sure, like, star-studded running back in that group right now. At wide receiver, we mentioned Ja'Kai Douglas, a slot receiver from uh, from Louisiana. Darren Williamson, late addition in the staff, or in, in this group. Uh, from uh, He was a Tennessee commitment. They flipped him away from there coming off an injury, but a lot of length, a lot of upside there. Brian Robinson from South Florida and Kentron Potier from South Florida as well. Zach, I know you dealt with some of the South Florida guys during the recruiting process. Uh, it seems to me like this is a really solid one, maybe not an elite group, but uh, good size, good length here, and then good speed with, with Ja'Kai Douglas. Seems like you got some potential playmakers there. Yeah, I would just preface, you know, obviously Malachi Wadman was the jewel of that, that group. Um, he doesn't end up in the class. I think, you know, they did a great job of addressing, you know, what need they, they like they need in this offense. I talked to uh, receivers coach Ron Dugan um, after signing day, and he kind of expressed, you know, I don't like he didn't think that, you know, Norvell's offense was going to, you know, be heavily uh, relied on like multiple receiver sets, like four receiver sets. So it's really important for them to get quality guys that they think can be playmakers in this offense. And that's kind of what he stressed to me. You know, I think Brian Robinson's a guy that Florida State's you know been in on was in on for a long time. Uh, he's a he's a really good pickup. He's a guy that's you know going to bring you know a lot of firepower to that offense. 
Kentron Portier is more of a project guy, um, basketball player. I think he's going to be a guy that kind of brings that same kind of, uh, you know, jump ball ability as uh, Malachi Weidman. Uh, and I think Darion Williamson is a really intriguing prospect. Uh, Norvell is really high on him. You know, obviously he ended his senior season with an ACL injury, but they got a chance to get him on campus and evaluate where he is um, with that injury. And, and Norvell was, you know, optimistic about his, his recovery and his, you know, and was expecting him to be able to, you know, contribute for them when he gets on campus in the summer. So I think that group is solid overall. You know, they could have added, you know, a really nice piece. But I think those four guys um, all bring different things to the table. And I think that's important when you look at what Norvell's done uh, in his career. I think I think that'll ultimately be a group uh, kind of like what Josh referenced with the running backs. You like the depth and the replenishing of that group. Uh, it kind of puts yeah. you in a position to hopefully go for that home run hitter in 2021. Uh, tight end. They get two guys, um, Marcusine Douglas. We mentioned him earlier. He's a converted basketball player. You know, FSU is able to tap into some uh, some roots with a uh, connection to his high school coach there. Uh, Norvell was a teammate with uh, Coach Chris Smith, I believe, uh, when they were at Central Arkansas. Guy who you know, was starting to see his his stock rise towards the end of the recruiting process. Michigan State was very much so in on Marcusine Douglas. They like him, his upside, the athleticism he brings. Certainly a project player because he's only played – of football, at least at the prep level for a year, but still uh, someone that I think they could develop into a, a, a really well-rounded and, and mismatch machine there, but, but we'll probably take time. Carter Boatwright is yeah, the other tight end. Just one oh, thing, so, yep. one thing about Douglas, I actually heard that, um, you know, Michigan state was also in on him, but, uh, I heard that Ole Miss tried to make a run at him in that last week. Um, you know, try to get him up on campus, but, uh, you know, coach David Johnson did a great job of keeping him and his teammate, Aaron Williamson solid. So I think that that that's you know intriguing just to see that he's a first year guy, first year football player, and a lot of these schools you know got in on him late. Uh, I think Florida State did a good job of locking him up. And one more thing is that you know during Norvell's press conference, he he mentioned Douglas as the potential steal of the class. So mm-hmm. they're obviously really high on him and what he can be um, in this offense for for the years to come. And I think it, it, it's promising to see that you know like just the trends of his recruitment late, uh, late heading into signing day. Carter Boatwright is the other tight end in the group. Uh, Chris Knee's not here to talk about him. I'll talk about him for Chris Knee. Ask Chris Knee. I love Carter Boatwright. He's the best tight end prospect I've ever seen. Oh my God. No, but Carter is already on campus. I think he's going to be a, uh, a guy who could probably do a lot of things well for Florida state. I'm not sure what his upside is to be honest with you, but I do think he's someone who can kind of provide stability and depth of that position. I do think we'll see FSU continue to try to pursue a, a more ready-made tight end uh, in the, in the transfer market. Josh, I'm going to throw the offensive line to you here. We talk about needs at running back quarterback offensive line, obviously right up there. Robert Scott's the big name in the second part of the recruiting period that FSU gets, but you also have Lloyd Willis, St. Herring, Thomas Schrader, and then the FSU, you transfer who I'm very high on Devante love Taylor. Yes. So there's two true offensive tackles in this group, Robert Scott and Lloyd Willis Willis. Robert Scott was an Ole Miss commitment that flipped to Florida state uh, about a week and a half ago. Lloyd Willis. He's out of the, uh, the Miami area. They're both true tackles. Robert Scott's a little bit further along, whereas Willis is more of a project. Um, And then you move into Zane Herring and Thomas Schrader, two guards, 
Thomas potentially a Schra- uh Thomas potentially a Schrader. A center. <laughs> I can confirm he is definitely a Schrader. <laughs> Thomas Schrader is one of those prospects that could potentially fill in at any position across the board, but I think ideally he settles in somewhere on the interior offensive line, potentially as a center. And then you got the transfer from FA FIU, Devontae Love Taylor, and he is a um he started all twelve games for FIU at tackle. And he'll com- come in and compete at either right tackle or left tackle. But you hope he comes in and wins one of those two spots. I think he'll be the best tackle FSU's had since Rod Johnson. That's a relatively low bar, I know. But I, I think he'll be good there for FSU at either tackle spot. So moving forward, yep. you know, I, I've written this like every year for the last three years whenever we start recruiting objectives for the beginning of the cycle. And we always say FSU almost number one already <laughs> made <laughs> high school offensive tackle. Yeah. Again, FSU has not been able to sign a ready-made offensive tackle out of high school. So I think this is the fourth year that I'm going to have in my 2021 recruiting objectives. Just that. So we'll see. Um, those guys are so that, hard to. Those guys are so hard to find. Is part of they the are issue hard to too. find. Uh, Even it's, harder it's, to land. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because everyone wants one, and there aren't many to go around. Not like wide receivers. Uh, yeah, I can't write a story, man, without. If I try to write about the, the quarterback position in the future of that or the running back position, like there's always a couple comments, the caveat of uh, you got to fix the offensive line first. Like, yeah, that, that, that's accurate. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of the ball, try to speed things up. Defensive end, uh, they add the Louisville transfer and Jared Jackson, uh, Josh Griffiths as well, a Louisville flip, take that Louisville. And then a, uh, a late addition to this class, and, and I want to get Zach's thoughts on this recruiting process. That's TJ Davis from Metter, Georgia. Uh, someone I like a lot, love his upside. I think he's uh, – what are your thoughts on him? I, mean, I think he was a really interesting kind of hidden gem that this staff found, and I know Georgia Tech wanted him as well. Yeah, man. Um, those last couple weeks, I think it was like two weeks before signing day, that's when they started going in on him for sure with TJ Davis. Um, visited his school. They kind of told him that he was going to be a guy they wanted to bring on campus. Um, the next week, they visit him again. And they're trying to keep you know his recruitment quiet because obviously they, they think he's a great player. Um, and, and, and I think banning him is a, is a big time just because of the need, like you mentioned. And I think... Um, he was truly considering Georgia Tech down the stretch uh, until FSU offered. A cool story with him, um, he messaged Curtis Fan, uh, the FSU D lineman Curtis Fan, his highlight tape, like, I think a month or maybe like towards the end of December or something like that, and he and told the, you know, Fan to send it to the staff. And I guess that's how they kind of got his tape. So I think it's just a cool story of how T.J. Davis ended up in Tallahassee. Obviously, he fell in love with the coaches in, in the town and the school when he arrived on campus. But um, from start to finish, that recruitment's pretty pretty interesting. And I think um, T.J. Davis is going to bring, you know, he's probably one of the better guys that they added onto this class uh, towards the end. I, I think you just gave me an idea for a story there, Zach. So I had talked to, uh, to D.C. Adam Fuller about finding T.J. Davis, and uh, he said – Talk about like being a total team effort. Uh, Clinton McMillan, uh, who's one of the uh, the analysts, sees his his film, and I think uh, sends it to Coach Meatball, and Coach Meatball sees it and sends it to Coach JP, and JP sees it and then sends it to uh, to Coach Fuller. And yeah, I didn't even know if it started with a uh, with a with a player like Curtis Fan if that got trickled up to the staff. But a, a story yeah. be cool is like all these late sleeper prospects FSU found, kind of how they unearthed them, how they uncovered them, because they all have interesting stories. We could probably spend you know, five, 10 minutes talking about each one. Uh, 
but but I like Davis a lot. I'm with you, man. I take, like his upside. D tackle Manny Rogers. We've talked about him before, and, and his yeah, physically imposing what he can become. Really curious to see what Odell Hagen says with Manny at linebacker. Josh, I'm going to throw this to you. Stephen Dix Jr., someone who Mike Norvell raved about, uh, who's already on campus. Coach Norvell raved about him the other day. Jay, I'm a cluster, a little bit more of a project player. I think a couple years out, and then DJ Lundy. Uh, they they think they found someone who slipped through the cracks with him. Yeah. And to put thing, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. The one thing that the last staff did do a great job of was rebuilding the linebacker room. That was kind of in, in complete disarray when they arrived. Um, and, and Raymond Woody and, and those guys did a, did a good job of solidifying it so that this year's class, like you said, DJ Lundy, Steven Dix and Jay on McCluster, it wasn't necessarily a major need for FSU. So it's okay if you get a guy like McCluster where he might need to come in and, and, and hit the weight room and figure some stuff out. Um, Steven Dix as well. He can run sideline to sideline and hit, uh, but he needs another year. DJ Lundy really like what he brings um, from an athlete standpoint, a, a lot of versatility, and these guys will mesh good with what's on campus already. Okay. Defensive backs. I'll start off with Judarius Green McKnight because he's someone who could probably uh, slide into a linebacker role too. FSU is going to use a, a hybrid four, three defense. And I can't remember what they call that hybrid safety linebacker position, but it's basically what Fox, star was. No, Fox is the defensive end uh, hybrid position. Okay. So that's more yeah, the, yeah. yeah. And the other one, it starts with an S I can't remember it. Uh, but regardless, I think that's something that Jadarius Green McKnight can grow into the two other defensive backs. though, right now, Demory Tate, uh, was finished as a five-star on 24 seven sports rankings, a high four-star with the composite. And then Sidney Williams, uh, who had a very interesting recruitment as well late in the process. I like his length, his athleticism. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be a cornerback necessarily. He may be a, a more of a free safety for FSU, but I think he gives him some versatility in the defensive backfield. Uh, we've already talked a lot about Tate and have gushed about him and, and how Odell Higgins kind of kept him aboard. Zach, I want to get your thoughts on Sidney Williams, that recruiting process, because you had your, your finger on the pulse there. Yeah, man, that was an interesting one. Um, Forest State was, you know, interested in him, not interested enough at start to give him an offer. They brought him on campus. Um, he was expected to, uh, <laughs> to be on campus, you know, for that whole weekend. And then are I guess you, are you okay? Are you know. sick? Are you okay, Zach? Yeah, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay, fine. all right. Um, he let he let the staff know that he was going to take a visit to Indiana midway through that weekend. Um, that he because he didn't hold the offer from the Seminoles. Uh, you know, the night before signing day, I get word that Mike Norvell calls up Sidney Williams and extends the scholarship offer. Um, the next morning, he's ready to sign with the Knolls. So I think it's just one of those classic hectic signing day, you know, stories that's just kind of surprising. And I think it shows that, um, you know, relationships matter. He, he's had a relationship with coach Marcus Woodson, the defensive back coach since his time at Auburn. Um, and I think he, he's had an interesting story. Like I think we've got into it on the site a lot, but basically, you know, he, he's had injuries that stopped him from playing uh, some of his senior season. So that's kind of what something his recruitment a little bit. But after getting him on campus, kind of like a Darian Williamson situation, um, they were able to evaluate where he was with his injury. And, and, you know, and with that evaluation, they were ready to take him in this class. So I think, I think he's a solid addition. Uh, and I, I, I always, I always like those, you know, national signing day, last minute recruiting stories, in my opinion. 
they're intriguing and fun and, and add a little spice to life. I agree with you. And there was a few of those guys, this class. I don't know if we want that every single year, uh, but you know, sometimes you're going to find the Keyshawn Helton type and it's going to work out for you. All right, fellas, is that everything for the 2020 recruiting cycle? Do you have anything else? Big picture, small picture. I almost said minutia, but people don't like it when I say it on the podcast. Damn it. I said it. Anything else on 2020? Turning the page. Turning the page. All right. Yep. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Going to dial in Christopher Knee and get his thoughts on 2021. Off to a great start with Brandon Jennings. Uh, stick with us. We'll be back after the break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back on the bench, and as promised, we're bringing in best friend of the show, Christopher Nee. Chris, you are traveling I-10. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, man. It sounds, it sounds amazing. The audio quality is great. It's great. All right. <laughs> Chris, Let me tell you, the rooftop drive, nothing better. Yeah, do you have your convertible? Uh, and is your top down? You know, I upgraded using the 247 sports account. It was unbelievable. I'm driving my wife's car. <laughs> I imagine Chris driving over to Jacksonville in a drop top Sebring. <laughs> I like, think like a like I think like a 2005 PT Cruiser uh, that that has the hybrid convertible aspect to it uh, with sunglasses on, looking really fly. Chris, you did go out to Jacksonville for a reason. That reason was Brandon Jennings, the four star linebacker, commits to Florida State. Dude, that's a hell of a get just in general for Florida state, but for Mike Norvell to kind of announce uh, his presence after post signing day, I feel like, I guess one, your thoughts on the commitment and two, uh, you know, you must've felt good about it to drive your ass all the way out to Jacksonville at 6 AM. Yeah. They were nice enough to, you know, let me in on the secret in advance. So I knew that was happening, but uh, I've known Brandon. I've known his dad a very long time. I've known coach guys at Sandalwood a long time. Brandon's a great get for FSU. He's a six foot three and a half, 225 pound linebacker. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's a physical being. He's an excellent athlete. Kid that also runs the 100 and the 200 track. Very talented guy. He can come off the edge. He can cover the pass. He can cover sideline to sideline. He does everything you want. I think the most impressive thing about his recruitment is that 
some would just say, oh, it's a slam dunk. His dad played at FSU. But his dad's not like that. His dad has let Bradley Jr. before him, who went to Miami, and now Brandon kind of make their own decisions. He wasn't going to push them. He's going to let them take their own journey. And in this case, I think FSU did an excellent job of recruiting him as an individual, not as a legacy, not as a son of a former Noel, but as a guy that they won, that they needed. And since Mike Norvell's arrival, as well as John Papuchas and Chris Merv, they did an exquisite job. He really hit it off with him. I think the junior day visit about two weeks ago is what really put FSU over the top and made it where he knew that's where he wanted to be. Going forward, it's big for FSU. It's big for the 2021 class. He's a kid that has a presence to him. He's a really talented kid. I think he should and will be a five-star. He certainly is going to contend for that designation. I expect him at stuff like the opening and you know national events like Rivals event and you know things of that sort. Probably an Army or an Under Armour kid. I'm hoping Army. That's something that I know we're pushing for. And it's good to have a guy of that kind of presence who he's so good at standing on his own two feet. He's a, he's a young man who's very mature. He's very comfortable within his own skin. He's smart. He's articulate. He relates to everybody. After he committed, he was dealing with the whole student body of Sandalwood, kind of one-on-one with guys thanking him or congratulating him. Same with, you know, young ladies. And it was a hodgepodge of society. It was. It was one or the other, only the athletes. It was everybody. He's a kid that can cross over like that. So I think in that sense, it's very important. Chris, um, Jennings comes in at 6'3 225 pounds, a 3.5 GPA, the number four outside linebacker in America, 39 overall. How many boxes does he check for you? And it, is he an offensive guard? <laughs> Can you move you, him to safety? Are you moving him to safety, Chris? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just I'm on uh, I-95 getting on I-10 in Jacksonville, which I think has been under construction since the day I was born. All right, He's supporting us. He's going to Busy Bee. Uh, you were there for the commitment ceremony, obviously. You got to see how people responded to him, which you know, Chris. The thoughts on uh, talking to Dad about the commitment, and you also talked to uh, to his head coach as well. To I, talked head coach. To, I talked to both Dad and uh, Coach Geis, his head coach, a good bit about him. Dad, Dad was proud. It was a proud Dad moment. He unveiled the old jersey from the national championship game that his dad wore. That's how he committed to FSU. I think that was a nice personal touch. It was something that Brandon wanted to do for his dad, and I think, you know made an impact upon his father. Dad's one of those guys that would do anything and everything for his kids. And Coach Guys, I've known him forever. He's had a lot of good guys. Demarcus Walker is a guy that I played for him. Uh, plenty of others. Jeff Sims more recently is a guy that I dealt with with him. Um, and talking about Brandon, he just he loves him. He thinks he's a hell of a football player, but he thinks he's a better kid. And, you know, he's a big piece of what they're going to be this coming season. He's the guy that they're, they're going to center their defense around. And he just swears by him. I think he's a kid that, you know, if Geis was a betting man and he had to bet on a kid being successful both in life and in football, he'd be all in on betting on Brandon Jennings. Nice. Uh, Chris, it's Newberg. We talked about this yesterday briefly, and I know this is something that the fans are going to want to know. Uh, what are the odds that Jennings sticks? <laughs> and under what circumstance think- do you think may, is, is there any circumstance that he could flip? 
I'm never going to say never because, you know, FSU could be catastrophically bad and it just wouldn't make sense for any kid of his talent to go to a school. You know, that's always a possibility. I don't obviously expect that. I think we've contended with that too much in recent years. And I think he would even stick through the tough times of the last couple years. He loves FSU. He's a kid that he is very much his father's son in every which way. And he loves FSU. He wants to be at FSU. He doesn't want to be the next monster. His dad's nickname was Monster. But he certainly appreciates the idea of following in his father's footsteps. So I think it would be very, very difficult for him to go elsewhere. He's a kid that wanted to get in the boat early. He liked the staff. He loved how they recruited him. He wanted to go there. They showed him a reason to go there. And he wants to make them better. He's a guy that I expect to be not, you know, a guy that necessarily calls every kid. But when he has an opportunity to recruit for FSU, I think he's going to be a very aggressive recruiter for FSU. I think he's just going to shoot from the hip, to be honest about it. That it's a place he loves. He believes it can be great. He knows it's been great. He knows the history of its greatness. And he wants to be part of it to come back to him. Do, did anyone call him Godzilla in person when you were there? I don't think so, but, man, he has an awesome edit from FSU. He was showing me. He was trying to get on Instagram, but it wouldn't frame right for all things to be on there. <laughs> yeah, I saw him tweet Yeah, it's a great nickname. Um, I've always called him Baby Monster because it's dad, and he's always reminded me so much of his pop. Uh, Bradley, who came before him, Bradley Jr., his older brother, you know, Brad was a kid that in some ways reminded me of Dad, but he didn't look like Dad physically. Brandon looks like Dad physically, and Dad was a freak. For those that remember his pops, he was a headhunter who could knock you on your ass, pop you out of your cleats, and dislocate your knees. Which means so much of that, the physicality on the field. But Brandon's a kid that you can tell both as a person and a player. All right, Chris, uh, the connection's starting to get a little dicey. I had one or two more questions for you, but we're going to we're gonna kick it from there. Uh, just going to end things up, or end things right now, wrap them up. But one, one more thing before you leave. Will you please say check the boxes for us, please? I didn't say that. Guy said that. He says that he checked all the boxes. In fact, the quote went on, and I didn't include all of it because it was so long, but he said if there were 15 boxes that Brandon checked. <laughs> wow, he took it. Did to he? Oh, my God. You, were you probably, set him up. You set him up. never checked 15 boxes. <laughs> Which me, as a box check, checking enthusiast, I can't tell you how excited I was to hear that. Did you give him a fist bump right there? You're just a, my man. <laughs> through, through the phone. I talked to guys on the phone yesterday. I, I gave guys a fist bump or two today when I saw him. All right. <laughs> Dude, thanks uh, for drive oh, safe, man. And good, and good job doing all that. Uh, a few days after National Signing Day, good hustle, great job. Drive safe, stop a busy bee and get some beef jerky. All right. All right, later, guys. Hey, Chris. Bye. All right. <laughs> all right. We uh, we uh, that was good. That was fun. I think. Uh, great. Checking the boxes. We have Zachary for like five more minutes. No, 10 more minutes, actually. All right, so I'm going to try to get in as many questions as possible. I asked you guys for questions. Uh, wanted to see if you wanted to kind of join in, the, like the post-signing day recap where we can go behind the scenes. But a lot of the questions here, you guys want to know about the future as well. So uh, this is a podcast for the people. I'm just going to go down the line here and do as many as possible. Probably not going to get to every single one. Uh, first one I'm going to go with is from Noel Knight. He asks, who are your predictions for – High school recruits, so not the transfers, 
uh, from this class that can make an immediate impact. One offense and one defense, but you cannot include Demory Tate. <laughs> Oh. Uh, running, so for me, I'll start off. I'll go with running back just because there is a need. We've talked about the depth there being a little shaky. If I can't go with Jay Sean Corbin or I can't go with Damien Webb, both are different types of transfers. I'll uh, right. I, I, I think, uh, are you going to go Corey Wren? I was, yeah, because I think Corey Wren can play in a role yeah. there, even though he's small right now. Like Lawrence Tofilly, for example, was his gonna go role Tofilly. is going to be like a primary back. And I don't think he's built for that just yet. Whereas Corey Wren's going to be used on the outside. He's going to be used kind of end around, maybe in the slot. And I think just his role fits uh, a high school, you know, somebody coming in from the high school level to the college level. Do you think you can get him on the field mm-hmm. easier and use his strikes easier? That makes sense. That's I a good agree one. With that. And you're, you're on Team Wren there, Zach? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you go to Kai Douglas. Uh, you said you said they're interchangeable. You said they're I said it. Person, so by uh, my theory, <laughs> they're essentially the same person according to Josh. Yeah, Chikai Ren. Uh, defense. I'm struggling with here a little bit as I'm looking at it. I I kind of want to say TJ Davis just based on need and like physically. I think he has the ability to. But man, you're talking about him jumping from small classification in Georgia to a Group of Five football. But to like kind of with Josh on offense, like I think you could find a role for him as a sub package pass rushing player on yeah, defense tough, and impact play, immediate impact players on defense outside of Demory Tate is a real hard one right now to project. I know Steven Diggs I, Jr. Yeah. Someone is that who you're going to say? Yeah. Steven Diggs is a guy that Norvell raves about already. He's, he's talking about how he's, you know, been, I got, just been affecting a lot in off season conditioning. I think he's college ready as far as his body goes. It's just as far as, you know, um, how how fast he picks up the defense, and and I think he, it's on a clean slate because they're bringing in a new, a whole new defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's a guy that that could see the field early. Another guy I would note is Manny Rogers. Um, I think you know he needs to clean up his body a little bit just just to be able to you know be college ready. But I think he's a guy that I I feel like freshman D tackles get a lot of run. Um, and obviously it's not for an extended period of time, but I think you could see him on the field early. What about Jadarius Green McKnight? You know, that's who I'm going to go with. I know the previous coaching staff was really, really, really high on him. And someone had joked with me once they wanted him to reclassify because uh, I thought he could make an impact that early on. And he's been so under the radar because he's such a quiet kid. I think he could step in and, and contribute in a couple different ways. Uh, Possibly as a sub package player because he can kind of be that fast linebacker type. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, Jadarius Green McKnight as my pick. Let's see. T Boston 99 asks real quick for this one, guys. Are there any grad transfer tackles or JUCO tackles that the staff is targeting after signing day? Uh, Josh, I, are there any outside of Chris right Murray now? right now? I don't think they're active with any grad transfer offensive linemen. I mean, JUCO offensive linemen. It was slim pickings already before the early signing period or the late signing period. At this point, no, um, there won't be any JUCO late additions, um, but a potential grad transfer. Maybe after we see the spring depth charts hit, I think kids are going to kind of rethink their stance on, on the teams that they're at. And there could be another kind of push towards the transfer portal. FSU monitors that, you know, constantly. So any new guys entering the portal between now and really the start of the season are, are fair game. I'm not going to rule out that FSU can't get in on somebody, but right now I can't point and say, you know, there's anybody being targeted. 
that's a good reminder that there's always that second or there has been that second surge uh, after spring football in the, in the transfer market. So things do liven up again. No fan in Sydney asks us about Jordan Travis quarterbacks. Do you see Jordan Travis switching positions or transferring? I think this is asked because Jordan didn't throw the ball a ton this past year. He obviously showed immense athleticism. I, I'm pretty sure he starts the spring as a quarterback and you got to figure out if you can work with him. Uh, but I haven't heard anything right now about him switching positions uh, and you have to see what this coaching staff thinks about his, his throwing ability. Cause that's very much so TBD right now. Uh, do you guys have anything to add to that? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, no, F- I would just say you, you can't evaluate it. You can't evaluate that in, in off season conditioning really. Right. Right. Those no, there's no footballs the, being used. No, 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 all right, Josh, this one's for you. I'm, I'm teeing it up. Actually, you know what? I'm going to come back to this question after we lose Zach. Uh, because it? It's about Weidman and how he ended up at Tennessee. All right. I, I think we'll, we'll hold off. Uh, Kinkun25, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, asks this question is for everyone. What was the one recruit that you wish you would have signed to this class that was once committed? For me, it's my man. You guys who listen to the podcast know I have a – have a special place in my heart for Morvin Joseph. Uh, he ended up being ranked in the top 50 by 24 seven sports. I think that's right where he should be a uh, position in need. I think that one hurt that you could not get him back on board. Uh, Zachary, what say you? I was going to go with the same guy. Uh, You're allowed to because of how, yeah, just because of how bad they needed a pass rusher. And I think um, some people didn't view him as as you know, as, as big of a priority as kind of, I guess me and you uh, saw him uh, because his ranking didn't display that early, but they released their final rankings. And I think he was, you know, it, within the top 150 players. So it just, it, it, it just, you know, it was a big need, a guy that could have, you know, provided a really instant impact because he was college ready. I just think um, he's a guy that it really, they really, really could have used in this class. I'm going to go with Jalen Knighton uh, just to go with somebody different. I agree with you guys on, on importance and need of Morvin Joseph in this class, but I'm going to go with Jalen Knighton because it was a major point of need when Mike Norvell arrived. And also you hate to see a kid go, you know, a impact player, not only decommit from you at a position of need, but also go to your rival. Um, so I think uh, just with all that combined, Jalen Knighton would have been the guy that I picked that I wanted to see on this commit list. All right, this will be the last question with Zach involved, I imagine, because it's a little involved. It's actually three questions, but this is this is good stuff. I think both of you guys can speak to. This is from Sneaky Bounce. Uh, when y'all announced that you expected Weidman to go to Tennessee, one of you said he did so because of, quote, other factors. I was just wondering if you could elaborate on that now. Josh, I'll have you answer that after we have Zach to see how much time we have with him because I know we're running out there. Uh, but the other questions here for you, Zach, are are there any other behind-the-scenes stories you're able to share uh, through the recruiting process here? And were there any recruits that you feel like we should have gone after that were overlooked? So overlooked recruits and any behind-the-scenes stories that you feel comfortable sharing now, Zachary, that the, the dust has settled? Um, You know, I think uh, one interesting story, I know I already wrote about it, but um, the TJ Davis story kind of, kind of stuck out to me. Um, he let, he left FSU on that last day, met with coach Norvell, um, kind of explained to coach Norvell, like, you know, I need, I need time to decide. It's, you know, and then he came out in an interview with us and said it was 50, 50 between, uh, FSU and Georgia tech. He goes to drive off. 
um, goes to, I think like some convenience store nearby to go <laughs> buy like, um, I think like stuff for signing day, like, uh, like an FSU hat and like a Georgia tech hat, you know, to, to pick from. And then he was like, he kind of realizes like, I like this place. Like I, I, I need to go here. So he, he sent a text to coach Norvell told him I'm going to be a null. And then, um, you know, bought that whole FSU outfit that, that you saw him wear on signing day. So I think that was a really, really neat story just his kind of realization of, you know, this is home. So I think that was a neat story. You know, there were a couple guys that FSU had truly, you know, uh, some interest in late. Um, I wouldn't say like, there's a guy that was like, Oh, FSU should have been there. I like, there's one guy that I think that if FSU offered, he would have been interested. Um, he signed with Georgia. His name is Darren branch, a defensive back. He split from Ole Miss. You know, I think that's a guy that they could have gone in on. Um, I don't, I don't know if he would have signed with Florida State. Obviously, he signed with Georgia, so um, you know, I'm not saying that he would have been instant, you know, commit to, into the class. But I think he's a guy that certainly was of caliber. All right, Zachary, I think that's a good sticking point for us because it's 11:03. You got to go at 11:05. I will uh, say goodbye and, and remind you that education is important, even though you're like 90 years old emotionally. Yeah, gotta get these grades. All right, go get A's. Hey, C's get degrees yeah. too, though, buddy. Bye. I'll talk All to right. you. Bye. Bye. See you, All Zach. Right. All right, Josh. Then there were two. Uh, let's get into. There's a couple people asking you about Malachi Wyman. We'll just ask sneaky, sneaky bounces yeah. question here about that whole deal. The Tennessee stuff. Um, <clears throat> Tennessee was kind of the beneficiary of some early work by Oregon and Auburn after declining to sign during the early period, which is which is a whole nother deal. Um, I spoke to my source close to Weidman, Adrian McPherson. Um, and he told me that some stuff had happened uh, people got in his ear and it was mainly Oregon and Auburn. Um, I also know Jeremy Pruitt real well at Tennessee and had spoken to him during the dead period. And really Tennessee was kind of on the outside looking in. He thought that, um, Malachi was probably going to end up at Florida state or Oregon. Um, this was pre visits and everything. So, it kind of started shaping up where Oregon was maybe a team that was kind of behind everybody else, meaning Florida state, Oregon and Ole Miss got in at the end as well. They weren't, they weren't a real player until the very end. And even then I don't, I wouldn't consider them in the same class with Oregon, Tennessee and FSU for Weidman. Um, but Chris Winkie did a great job there. And Chris Winkie, former Florida state Seminole for former Heisman winner has been recruiting that area down there for, for Tennessee for the last none of, two years. None of those Florida state former quarterbacks really, uh, helped, <laughs> helped out yeah, FSU a ton of this process. Quarterbacks. Um, so it was just, um, I don't want to say outwork, but you know, Tennessee did what they needed to do down the stretch. And up until the night before signing day, Pruitt talked to Weidman and Weidman did not inform him where he was going. As of that morning, he had talked to Weidman and Weidman did not inform Jeremy Pruitt of where he's going. However, Malachi Weidman finally gave um, our Tennessee site and Ryan Callahan a pre-write to Tennessee about 9.30 a.m., 10 a.m. on signing day morning. So at that point, we knew where he was going, but Tennessee still had not been informed yet of where he was going. So I know a lot of people had like these guesses and everything of where he was going and um, I know uh, there was a report on rivals that he was flipping to Ole Miss, but like even Tennessee, even Jeremy Pruitt 
did not know where Malachi Weidman was going. I, I know Jeremy was tipped off about two hours. They were finally told where he's going before the commitment, but it really went down to those, those last, I'd say 20 hours is when the decision was actually made. I never got a great feel. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you did either, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if when Florida state in the process kind of conceded him or realized that it wasn't going to be them for mm-hmm. Malachi. I don't know if they ever conceded him. I just yeah. think that Florida state felt like they were a little handicapped having done their in-home visit and official visit in December. I mean, you are handicapped. You're only, you're limited to assistant coaches only for mm-hmm. the entire month of January. So I think they felt like, man, we, we did all we could do. We want him. We hope he signs with us, but we're going to be okay if he doesn't. And this class is okay in 2021. We're going to keep moving. I, I think that's realistically, I mean, what else can you do? Yeah. And I think emotionally they, I know we talked about emotionally moving on uh, when he didn't sign with them. I think they still were invested in, in trying to get him yeah. to Florida oh, yeah. state, oh, but, but there, I think they were yes, realistic. There was too. rumors that this was the Jeff Sims situation that FSU didn't really want him anymore. FSU had moved on. FSU wasn't putting up with him, but nah, none of that was true. I mean, they recruited this kid down to the very end. He's a phenomenal talent. I think he's more of a football player than a basketball player. That's always been my opinion, but I don't think that cheapened his recruitment at all. I think he was a, uh, he was a priority from start to finish for Florida state, new staff, old staff didn't matter. I want to go rapid fire here. So I'm just looking ahead at the questions, go as many as possible. Uh, there may be one or two that we stopped to kind of flesh out a little bit, but let's try to be quick here and finish in the next 10 minutes. Josh uh, Gumby 31 asks, what did Norvell mean when he said there are a few others coming aboard? Uh, he said that on signing day. One of that was uh, TJ Davis had not actually sent in his national letter of intent yet at an well, announce at least. So he can't mention my name. And then he ends up later on in the press conference joining uh, joining the class. And then Norvell was able to talk about him. That was mainly it. I don't think there are any other like people were like, oh, surprise, guys. I do think everybody probably, wants that surprise, know, that mystery recruit. You got to You got to sell them on it, Brendan. There probably were some tra- there. there are probably some transfers that are going to be open to exploring. Uh, but I don't yeah, think there's like just this- don't close the door on it because right. there's going to be guys that enter the portal that they reach out to. And why say that you're done recruiting when you might not be done recruiting? Yeah, that was there was not a whole lot to read into there, in my opinion. But it's been asked multiple times. So mm-hmm. put that to rest. Uh, Death to Gators. Speaking of transfers, which transfer did we go in on strong and strike out with? Uh, to me, the first one that comes to head is uh, Carl Tucker, the tight end who goes to Alabama. You know, FSU brought him in for an actual visit. Uh, I think there's maybe one other. I don't know if, if who you would say there, Josh. I would but. just I would go with Devin Cochran because Cochran, yeah. the FSU went to Nashville to visit with him and felt like they were going to get him in on a visit, and he committed to Georgia Tech. So and I, both I, of those I Cochran. Okay, and that was the other one I was going to say. Both of those, I mean, Cochran chooses to go closer to home, be by his family uh, in the Atlanta area, and Carl Tucker goes to Alabama. Like, what, what, what are you going to do? Uh, Renegade Knowles, 82. Uh, what's the biggest change you've seen in the program in this new Norvell era? What change has you the most excited, Josh? Mine would be the same thing that I keep saying over and over that's impressed me. FSU's, um, their ability to reach out to every single transfer that hits the market it is like, it that's, is it is it's crazy just, that takes some skill like you got to have your you got to know how to work twitter and do all that following unfollowing and uh these guys have a system for it i guarantee you they have a system for it like somebody is monitoring the portal and letting them know as soon as a guy goes in 
because they always reach out and, and bridge that gap, the communication gap. Whether they go on them or not, they at least reach out to almost everybody that hits the portal at a position of need. That's how I got my Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. Uh, you got to set the alerts on your phone. When you get that email drop in there, you got to run too. Uh, just like that with the transfers. <laughs> Paluma246, which big recruiting event? A couple of guys are asking about this, Josh. We'll just put it into this one. Which big recruiting event are you most excited to see how well the staff works? Spring game, camps, or the Saturday Night Live, uh, for, you know, Friday Night Lights, well, uh, whatever they're going to call it. But we don't know what those summer camps are going to look like. We don't know mm-hmm. when they're going to be. We don't know anything. I actually asked Chris yesterday because I, I did a quick Google search and I didn't find anything. But in our group chat, I said, hey, have the summer dates come out yet? Because, you know, I got to put that on my calendar as well. So I always look forward to the summer camp dates just because that's everything. That's that's the uh, in-person stuff, but also the on-field stuff. You get to see both. So for me, definitely the summer camps. And I, I never miss those. And you would ask Norvell about that back when we had him on the bench oh, was it in December. And he, he certainly has a plan. Uh, he had he sounded actually pretty excited about it, but didn't want to reveal too many details at the time. Probably worth for us to go and look at what he did at Memphis in terms of uh, it was it just one big crescendo or was it a lot of little ones? Uh, it will be interesting to see who they get through the summer. I know we were critical of, of some of FSU's tactics under Willie Taggart uh, and some of the risk-reward uh, approach that they took there. Let's see. Phil S. Goldman, uh, Goodman, excuse me. Uh, Phil has a couple questions here that I think are worth going over. First, Josh, why so few in-season official visits? I think this is more asking about the Willie uh, Taggart staff. I mean, Willie was fired. What was the date he was fired? October? <laughs> no, no, November third, I believe. He was fired November third. Um, perennially, Florida State doesn't bring official. I mean, you know, they bring in a handful, even under Jimbo maybe two, three, four official visitors before the month of November. So um, I think Willie was just doing what everybody at Florida State should do is wait till the end. There's no reason to bring these guys in all that early. They like the fireworks too. Like they did that for both the summer with the Saturday Night Live event. And then they always want to have that big recruiting weekend uh, mm-hmm. at the end of, they always want to be the last thing. He did a know, good job on those big recruiting weekends. The Saturday Night Live, the both years of those were really productive, especially and the, the first official year. visit weekend. You know, they yeah. almost, they landed nearly everybody they brought in. There is a, the first. I, I still maintain it. When we do our Willie Taggart kind of tell all podcasts that people are asking for in the summer, I still maintain there's a scenario in which Willie Taggart's very successful at Florida State, but it just really kind of fell apart <laughs> against Virginia Tech and never got yeah, back. The one narrative track. people try to change is the recruiting one. Uh, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of truths that people post on the message board and all that, but like the one thing that people want to say is like he didn't recruit well, and or well, that he wasn't course, trying hard at the very end. Um, he did a good job of getting guys on camp. The, the recruiting part was done well. There's aspects of the behind the scenes and organization that were not. Yeah, the staff could recruit. I don't know how structured and organized they were. We, we've talked about that. But, yeah, I mean, dude, he had a top 10 recruiting class going into this past season. Uh, what were they going into the 2018 season when they got Nick Cross? Weren't they, like, top five at one point? Like, there were things that they were selling kids that had them interested. Just on-field results have to – and it wasn't just the wins and losses. Anyways, I'm getting – it was a shit show <laughs> on the field. This time for that later. Uh, what was the plan at quarterback? Sims or bust was Kendall Browse the one pushing for Hornsby or Renfro and Willie didn't want them. So again, this is more retroactive uh, looking at how the class was kind of assembled. Yeah, that was kind of the deal that the, um, Bryles definitely wanted another quarterback Taggart uh, really from the get go. It said they were only taking Jeff Sims. 
All right. Uh, here's a few that other could ones. Change down at the end, but you know we don't mm. really know what would have happened after November third. Right. It was so dicey. Uh, he asked his master mono reel the punter. Yes. If if uh, you saw he was punting over the punting the ball over the uh, the Pike fraternity house the other day. That's how you know uh, it's real. Yep. That's a it's a little twist to the uh, the old throw the ball over the Pike house deal. Let's see. Makers, Mark's man. Uh, this was a question I wanted to ask for Zach, uh, but he wanted to know about, was there less second drama with any recruits that we didn't hear about? Like guys almost decommitting or potential surprise commits. We didn't get Zach mentioned that Ole Miss did make a run at uh, both Marcus and Douglas and Darren Williamson. I don't think that was the last weekend, but it was after those guys committed. So you were talking about the last 10 days or so of the recruiting cycle. Uh, FSU held on to them and it never really turned into a traumatic situation, which I think is, uh, telling about what his coaching staff can do and some of the stability. I think that also goes, yeah, that goes back to relationships. And yeah. David Johnson had a relationship, if not recruited, um, one of the two very hard, Williamson. And it dated back longer than Lane Kiffin's relationship because Lane Kiffin was not in a position to recruit them like David Johnson was and build that previous relationship. So it was just too new on the old Miss end. ATL, Noel, 88. I did ask about the Jeff Sims and kind of how that conversation went. I know there's speculation that he was told that either he was going, not going to be a good fit or that he would not be the only guy they brought in. Uh, I don't think we ever got like directly from Jeff what was said. I I did speak to someone who would have contact with with Jeff, and that was the general, uh, the general messaging that he got was probably would be in his best interest to look elsewhere. I think he would have been a take for Florida State but they made it clear that they were interested in, in acquiring at least one other quarterback. Uh, so that's how that went. Do you have anything to add to that, Josh? No, we, we've kind of, yeah. we've passed uh, that out over. Yeah. We, we, just won't, we, did, we, a, we did a whole emergency podcast. On we it. did. We did. That's when, that's when the podcast started taking a turn a little bit. I was at Costco when that happened and I had to leave, but I got a pair of sweatpants. Very nice. $15. Oh, Z five, six, Oh, two, he asked, how many wins do you think the staff needs to produce to get back in the top 10 in recruiting Eight. rankings? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. All right. And do you think FSU has enough behind the scenes help to get back in the top five consistently? Yeah, no. sure. Yeah. Oh, wait, when? Like starting this year? Consistent. No. Oh, no, consistently. Like, can they get back there with this my, under Mike Norvell? They yeah. Win? No, it's, it's probably not going to happen. You got to win. And I, I, think don't you have think to win seven, I don't think seven wins is going to be enough to get Florida State a top 10 class. And I think eight is going to be, you know, right there on the cusp of a top it depends class. how it looks too, right? Like if you're losing a few narrow games and you're throwing in a bunch of blowouts, if you're beating I mean, Miami, FSU, you're you got to remember FSU has been off the radar. Now the national radar now for like three straight years, if they come out and win eight games, I don't know how much of a blip you're going to see on the national radar to really get that momentum going. But the kids that they are recruiting and the ones that they have good relationships with moving forward, like right now, um, I think that will be enough to land those guys. But for FSU to take the next jump and be competing for perennial four and five stars, I think you you got to win more than eight games. You know, when when under the previous regime, the this is still Florida State mantra was one that we heard over and over again. And, and recruiting, it just seems as uh, that hasn't been the case now. Like FSU has lost a lot of its shine. You can get back there quickly because of the history you have, and you have relatives, parents who who love Florida State. And it wasn't that long ago that you're hoisting up a national championship trophy. But man, I've been, Josh, I've been so uh, interested in seeing how quickly FSU kind of fell off the radar of like, you talked about the Under Armour check-in that you had, like how FSU just isn't 
being mentioned and it only took what three seasons of it being kind of off national relevancy to uh to really kind of fall into the background it's interesting right yeah but fsu fans we know where we're at like we are this is 2009 2010 we've seen so in order to get to like what fsu is reaping in 2011 and 2012 you got to start winning and once you start winning it's a slow build but like we saw with jimbo it can be done and it can be done in the short term, meaning two, three, four years. So hopefully this is all a step in the right direction. And as we already see, 2021 recruiting is picking up, at least comparatively. And then obviously Norvell has to win to keep that 2021 20, momentum going. And that just TBD, that's going to have to be patient a little bit to see what happens. I right. think we're all FSU just, just doesn't have the built-up equity right now yeah. to win seven games and have a top 10 class. They just don't have that juice. It's a good way to put it, uh, the, the equity. Uh, I think one other thing with silver lining here, and this will transition to one other topic I wanted to get to before we wrap up the podcast. Silver lining is FSU's main rivals in state. Like I know Florida's finishing with what, a top six class, was it? I think they uh, settled in at eight. Eight? Okay. That's um, a disappointing class. So if neither Florida nor, nor Miami have really capitalized on Florida State being down. I know Miami was able to Florida's get like, on the cusp of it, though. They're working that way. And I mean, Florida they State. Some, they got but, some but, really good players in that class. You'd like but to that see that depends, it. Josh, on – doesn't it depend on how Florida State does under Norvell in the next year or two? Like I, I'm saying that there's a potential that window has closed, that if Florida State I starts – I mean rec- – I think Florida is on the cusp of making their run like this year or next year could be their window to win the national championship. I mean, seeing the guys that they brought in like a Derek Wingo and Xavier Henderson and uh, um, Gervon Dexter, these guys, their class, not as full as Florida state's 2011, 2012 classes, but it's nearing there. They're, they're, they're trending in that direction. Um, Florida is probably if, if Florida state's on the right path, Florida's probably two to three years ahead of them right now. They've already gone through this. They've already kind of picked up the pieces, hit rock bottom. And now they're, they're building to something special. And the hire that they just made yesterday proves that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Tim Brewster being hired. I know, uh, that's a name Florida state fans are obviously familiar with. He, he was the lead recruiter for Dalvin cook and, and I think Chris Snee likes to call him a bulldog on the recruiting trail because he is so uh, so fierce and and will just kind of stick his nose in anywhere, whether it's you know inner city Miami or uh, you know big time schools in Texas. Like he's where you kind of throw your best recruiter at where you need him. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on on that hire? Are you as nervous as the Florida State fans are? I'm not nervous. I just want to sit back and watch because I see a lot of comparisons to what FSU was doing in 2012. I think if if you're Dan Mullen and you're trying to make a run at a national championship and you just won, how many games did they win? 11 games this year, and they finish eighth in recruiting, you got to go out and do something. And there's nothing better that you could do for recruiting at UF right now than go out and hire a mercenary coach like a Tim Brewster because this is the situation that a coach like Tim Brewster excels in. When he arrived at FSU in 2012, I mean, does this not feel very similar to his arrival at FSU? Like FSU was just on the cusp of – of taking it to the next level and winning the national championship. And uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything about Tim Brewster in, in contributing to like FSU's on field success, but Tim Brewster thrives in a, in a environment where he has a great product to sell because he's such a good salesman and he's only going to be there for like maybe two, three years max. And that's just, that's his role. So he's going to come in here. You know, he's going to, 
He's going to stick his nose in every big time recruitment. He's going to be able to walk indoors in Miami. Um, he's not afraid. And you might say, oh, well, Tim Brewster misses on a lot of guys, but I've covered a lot of coaches and I don't know as many coaches that are willing to stick their nose in situations like a Tim Brewster is just to find out, Hey, do I have a shot here? So, um, I think it's a power move by UF in all honesty. I, I really do. I wasn't as concerned about it. I'm on the different side of the coin there. Like I know what Tim Brewster can do. I, I saw what he did. Uh, with the recruitment of Dalvin Cook and, and just how fierce of a recruiter he, he can be. He's he's obviously really good. Uh, but I also think, it I mean, hasn't he kind of lost some of his luster a little bit since then? Like, Why? Because he, he went to UNC? I mean, you're uh, Brendan, nobody's, like I said, it, Tim Brewster didn't become a better recruiter when he went from Mississippi State to FSU. He wasn't landing the same caliber kids at Mississippi State. He just was not. He comes to FSU, he starts landing a lot better caliber player. Of course, if he goes to UNC, but he had a big hand in the Sam Howell stuff. Um, and and look, FSU right now needs to get their own shit together. They don't need to worry about UF right now. FSU's success is not going to be dictated based on this Tim Brewster hire for UF. UF's on their own journey. FSU's on their own. And FSU has to kind of pick the pieces up, stop getting in their own way so often, and get this thing rolling on the track the right way. I mean, by the time FSU gets it rolling up, Tim Brewster might not even be at UF um, anymore by then. So I think it's a power move by, uh, by UF right there. I mean, you do, do lose someone of Larry Scott's caliber and you're able to have the name of Tim Brewster. Uh, that does show how appealing I think the Florida job is right now. Going back to my initial point when we started talking, this has been quite the uh, the off-topic off conversation, but I, I'm enjoying it, is that uh, Florida State is... I still have the impression, man, or I'm still the belief, like, I think Florida has kind of squandered its window. Like, if they go ahead and win a national championship this year, well, then, yeah, then that all bets are off. Uh, but if Why Florida do you think State, that they've squandered? Why? What makes you believe that their window's closing? I mean, look at the upheaval at Georgia. Look at the SEC East. And I should um, be saying, and I, when I say that uh, for context, like, I'm talking about winning a national championship. Why? Because I think Florida State or Miami, uh, basically, man, we've seen this historically for one of those three to be great. Usually, usually one has to be down. Now there was obviously the nineties is, is something that'll never happen again, but more in their realistic, uh, current modern era of well, who has shown uh, Florida state or Miami that they're not down. That's what I'm saying. If we're, I'm operating under the belief that Norvell's going to get this turned around uh, a little bit. And that's a, that's, I guess what I'm basing this all on is that if he's showing core competency as a yeah. recruiter, which he is, and if that translates to him being competent uh, as a game manager and developer of talent, which are kind of his strengths. Like if he's showing he can recruit well at Florida mm-hmm. state, uh, which was one of the more questionable things about him coming in. Uh, then if we believe that what he's going to do on the field, like I'm just saying, I think Florida state is going to start getting into a point uh, where they're competent. They're winning eight or nine games a year. Uh, yeah. I just haven't seen that 11. talent gap. I mean, I think Florida this year expanded the talent gap on Florida yes. state, didn't close it. And they're probably on pace to do that again. So you got to remember though, Brendan, these recruiting classes that we're talking about right now, having wide talent gaps, those are going to play out on the football field uh, in the coming years. I don't know if see, I agree with you. Up and to I the think point. the class that Florida brought in this year is exponentially better than any class that they've really brought in, in the last three years. I agree. Like NFL guys like Gervon Dexter is like going Isaiah Walker, yeah. Gervon Dexter, I, you know, uh, Josh but, Braun. I mean, so they filled I agree, up in the trenches. I agree with you that the talent gap widened this year. I guess I'm operating under a belief that it won't 
like this was the peak of that talent gap play. What Let's we saw this, so, right? Let's all right. So. <laughs> all right. Uh, last question: What would you give this tank top as a composite grade? It's got a little, got a little pocket it on it. Yeah. See, I, you know, you're, you're 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 probably a high three star tight end. All right. I didn't ask for a position, but my end is tight. All right, Josh. I just try to give you the most boring position on the field. Mm, I'm a flex tight end. I could do it all, man. I could do it uh, all. You're, you're an inline blocking tight end. <laughs> for Josh Newberg. You're a wing team. Chris Knee, Zach Glosting, the whole gang on the bench. I'm Brendan Snow. Everyone, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.